Well, good morning. Hope everyone had a, a good Christmas. Got to spend some time with your families. And I enjoyed my Christmas. I got to be home with my family and uh, rest a little bit. Uh, had a good time and good to see good to see uh, other ones that traveled in. So glad y'all y'all were here. Glad you're here to support me this morning. So. All right. Oh. Uh, I guess I did okay the last time since they asked me to come back, huh? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> oh, you know, I could have just been what nobody else asked, you know, able to ask them. I might have been the last choice, something like that. So maybe not. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be up here with you guys again today and uh, to speak with y'all. Uh, it's quite a daunting task I've learned to try to come up with a sermon. <laughs> I think the last time I had about the same amount of time to, to come up with a sermon, but I had a tougher time this time. Uh, this time I was out of town. My mind's been on a job, and, and uh, I had trouble sitting in a hotel room at night trying to sit there and figure out what I was going to speak on. I had something in my mind, but uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But um, today, when I when I when I do this, I want to change things up a little bit. Instead of reading kind of how we do our typical text in the morning. I, I'm going to be skipping around a little bit, so I'm going to just have uh, Amber put them up on the screen, and we'll kind of follow along that way. If you got your Bible with you today, then uh, by all means, open that up and you can follow along with us. It might be a little fast at times, but uh, uh, we'll try We'll try that. But, uh, if you don't have a Bible with you today, um, there's one right there in front of you on the pew, the black ESV Bible. Uh, we invite you to open that up, and, and you can follow along there. Uh, if, if you don't own a Bible, take, take that home so you can have a copy of it. Uh, we, we want everybody to have a copy of that. So, um, let's, uh, with that let's, get, let's get started. So. Let's go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Dear Grace Heavenly Father, uh, I just come to you this morning, Lord, and just, uh, just ask you to just be with me this morning, Lord, and just... Uh, uh, open our hearts, Lord, and our minds, and uh, let us just take in what, what you have for us to know. And uh, just ask you to just be with me this morning, Lord. Uh, hide, hide me behind your cross so that the words that I speak and come out of my mouth is, is what you want your congregation to hear this morning, Lord. Uh, just ask all these things in your blessed name. Amen. All right. Um. I fully planned on, when I got started with this, I fully planned on talking about uh, Christmas after Christmas. What do we do after Christmas? And when I sit down at night to type, as I sit there and watch that cursor blink, the Spirit led me a different direction, and, and I'm glad because Brother Richard kind of covered half of that last week. Because <laughs> I was going to do the whole story with uh, Herod, you know, what happens after Christ was born. We kind of let the story stop there. So the Spirit knew what he was doing, you know, when he led me that direction, so, so I'm glad. So, um, what I want to talk to you today about, though, is, is your salvation. I want to talk about, you know, assurances of your salvation. Um, over these last few years that I've been working with the youth, um, I've seen a lot of youth go down, um, especially at these conferences that we go to and... and um, like we just got back from YEC. Um, a lot of youth are struggling with their salvation. You know, and I don't think they're the only ones. And I, the reason I say that is 
I think I spent a good portion of my Christian life after being saved really questioning my salvation, you know. Am I really saved? Um, this past year when we went to, uh, a few months ago, we took the kids to YAC. I got to um, be a counselor there, so we were in this big coliseum. And I think there was, I don't know, seven, 8,000 people at this coliseum kids, and you know, they're having concerts and preaching and all this, and when we, we go down and they do a time of invitation, I mean, it was hundreds of kids going down, and, and that's, that's praise God for that. That's amazing to see. I, I think over the whole, the whole couple days there, six, 700 kids got saved, which that's, that's an amazing number. But what I found, the kids that I spoke to and that I got to counsel, um, I would have to walk out of the Coliseum and I'd have to, they had a building set up all the way across the parking lot. So when we would walk out there and the kids would start coming in, they'd just be like, you know, grab one. Don't, don't, don't sit there and look for your kid. Just grab a kid. It don't matter who it is. Just get them in and let's talk to them. But a lot of the ones that I talked to had been down and had gotten saved at previous events or at a church and they were struggling with where they were with Christ and it got me to thinking you know that's 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 something I think some of the some of all of us can struggle at one point you know that or where, where's our assurances in Christ where, where are we at you know how do we know that we're really saved and uh, so that's, that's what I want to kind of talk to you about today um, Maybe there was one point in your life that you were in this church or another church and you might have been a young age. You might have been five, six, seven, but you walked down this aisle right here to this front and you gave your life to Christ. Or maybe you've done it just because you didn't want to be left out. You followed a friend down here at a young age. Or you've done it because that was expected of you. That's what your parents thought. All them years they've been dragging you to church. Maybe you were a teenager when this happened, but you just went on ahead and made that commitment to walk down here. You were scared, but you done it. Um, here lately, I've been, I've been hearing a lot of stories. I've even heard of some from uh, some, some pastors uh, coming up that people have been preaching behind a pulpit for 20 and 30 years, and they finally realize they're not saved. Or they've been teaching in a Sunday school class for 15 years, and they come to a realization that they're not saved. How, do, how does that even happen when you think about it? Like, how do you step up in those positions and, and, and are leading other people and you're really not saved? Or, you know, I, I don't know. That's, that's a crazy to even think of, but it, but it happens. It does happen. Um, I think sometimes us as Christians, we get caught up in trying to get someone saved so bad or the number of people that we're trying to save, um, we tend to, to get them to say a prayer and then we leave them. You know, hey, say this prayer. Come down here and give your life to Jesus. Say this prayer so you can be saved. And then we don't see them anymore. We're on to the next soul we're trying to save, the next soul we're trying to win for Christ. Um, but doing that is causing an epidemic. It's causing people to spiral out of control. They, they, don't, they, don't have, they can't see who they are in Christ just because they said a prayer. 
They can't have a relationship with Christ because they said a prayer. Um, if, if we continue to, to just do this and try to win souls for Jesus by just getting someone to say a prayer, we're not doing them a, a favor. We're not doing them a service. We're doing them a disservice. We're doing ourselves a disservice. We're doing God a disservice. Because we're not leading that person to, to who Christ truly is just by getting them to say a prayer. Um, what's the point of going after them if, if we're not going to keep them on the right path to begin with? So my question to you this morning is how assured are you with your salvation? Does God even care about you? Does he even care that you have assurances that you're saved? The answer to that is yes. God does want you to have assurances that you're saved. He gives you assurances that you're saved. Um, that saving comes only one way. It comes through the grace of his son. The work that his son did. The, the death that his son did. The penalty that he paid for all of us. And it only comes through Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people out there that find it very difficult to believe in something. Uh, they, find, they find it very difficult to risk things, uh, to risk everything they have for uh, something that they can't see or something that they don't think actually exists. Some of you in this room might have been at that point. You might have been at a point in your life where you didn't know if God was real or not. You didn't know if he truly existed. Some of you might still be sitting there. Some of you might, might still be battling with does God really exist have you felt him you know I hope that's not the case um, I want to give you an example of something uh, believing in something that, that doesn't exist uh, with my son I'll give you a quick example Grant loves to deer hunt I'm talking about loves it I mean that's when I get home on Friday night, you can guarantee there's going to be two questions asked is the minute I walk in the door. He ain't going to say, Daddy, I miss you, man, I love you, it's good to see you. He's going to ask me two things. What's for supper? And are we going to deer hunting in the morning? You can guarantee that. Um, but when he was little, there was something that, that sometimes it would, it would get on me, you know, I'd, just, I'd kind of laugh about it. Uh, as we would head out in the morning, we'd go deer hunting. And we walk through the dark. He's got all his camo on. I'm toting the gun. We got our flashlights out. We make it to that deer stand. And we climb up that stand in the dark. And we get in and we hunt. Most of the time we don't see nothing. But that's okay. So as the hunt's done, and it's time to leave, I usually climb out the stand first because I want to be on the ground where I can reach my arms up there in case he falls or anything like that. So as I climb down, he'll, paint, he'll hand me the gun. He'll hand me my backpack, my heater. I'll set it all on the ground. And I'll sit there and wait. And he would start to climb out himself. So as he was little, he would scoot on his belly till his feet were dangling out the stand. So 
then he'd start easing his, his legs down toward trying to feel for that ladder. And he'd sit there, and I'd, I'd be like, Grant, you're, you're, you're almost touching it. You're almost touching it. Come down a little more. He couldn't get past that point. He, he, he couldn't feel that step there. So he would climb all the way back up, inch back in. He would turn around, and he'd look down. And, uh, and like, okay, I got it this time. So then we would go through this whole thing again. Y'all, sometimes it would take 10 minutes to get him out that deer stand. I generally would have to climb back up the ladder and sit there and wait. And as his legs come out, I would have to grab his boot and physically guide it down to that first step. And it was funny the other day. Grant says, uh, Dad, I still do that. I said, yeah, but I ain't going to tell him that. <laughs> oh, I'm going to pick on him a little bit. Uh, but just like Grant could when he was little, and, and you know he couldn't get past that first step, he couldn't get past that point in his life, that fear right there, trying to feel for that step, that something that could support his weight so he could climb down. Uh, we can get like that in our lives spiritually. Uh, we we can battle that that same thing. Um, sometimes there's certain points in our life that we can never get past until we're confident that Jesus can support the full weight of us. Uh, there's sacrifices that we won't make. Uh, there's things that we won't follow um, until you're convinced that they have eternal value in Jesus. Following Jesus can mean a lot of things. It can mean saying no to a lot of things. It can mean saying no to dreams. All of us have dreams, right? Or had, still do, for our kids, grandkids. Sometimes those dreams might have come true. Others may not have. But Jesus was talking to us. He told us to take up our cross and follow him. Uh, he wasn't talking about a literal cross that we had to tote. He wasn't talking about a burden that you had to carry. He wasn't talking about uh, your thankless job. He wasn't talking about um, illnesses that you had to tote throughout your life. Um, he wasn't talking about a troubled relationship that you're dealing with. That's not the kind of cross and burden he's telling you to carry. He meant being willing to die to oneself in order to follow him. And that's a big thing when you think about it. It's not a it's not a choice to be taken lightly. Dying to oneself in absolute surrender for someone. Uh, let's read Luke 9, uh, 23 through 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? To take up your cross and follow Jesus means delivering yourself over to a death. Uh, a, a death to you having... Uh, control over your own life. Uh, 
this death is, is not a physical nature, it's an empowering death. Uh, a death of ourselves that gives us assurance of a new, a new life that was promised to us by Jesus. You can't ever have the courage to embrace the cross until you have the confidence that you own the resurrection yourself. Now, Jesus was resurrected, and so will you be when he comes back. Unless he comes back before we die. That'd be all right, too. Um, you will never truly have the courage to embrace the cross until you have the confidence that you own this resurrection of a new life and that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, freely gave to us through his sacrifices. Uh, you'll never have the strength to say no to sin until you realize the yes to Jesus. You'll never give up your life to be obedient until you're assured that Jesus' commitments and promises are real. How can you take up your cross daily and follow Jesus if you're not even convinced of your own resurrection? Let's look at Paul for a second. Paul was unwavering in his life. He, he, he suffered persecution, beating, prison. What would make a man be unwavering through all that? I ain't never been through nothing like that. But what would make a man be so unwavering and be so committed to Jesus? And what it is is because Paul knew exactly without a shadow of a doubt where he stood with God. He had spent life with Jesus. He spent time with him. And he, he, knew, he knew where he was headed, and he knew that Jesus made a commitment to him, and he knew that Jesus would honor those commitments. And that's why he was unwavering in his ministry. That's why he was so focused and driven on, on his mission was because he knew where he was going. He knew what was true. Uh, let's look at 2 Timothy verse one twelve. All right, um, Paul writes this, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. True obedience goes way beyond just living by a set of rules. You do them because you truly and deeply the one that commanded you. ask you today, do you truly love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, deep down? Are you living your life the way you want to or the way Jesus wants you to? Are you following his will? Are we so caught up in religion that we can't see past our traditions, our social statuses, what type of church we're going to. See, religion can cause you to change your behavior, but it can't tell you what your heart to do. Religion can tell us what to do, what is right, and it, but it cannot give us the love for what is right. 
Only the gospel and the assurances that it has in Jesus can create a passion for what's right in our hearts. Paul said that it's only as we are overwhelmed at the glory of Christ's sacrifices for us that we can be transformed into glory ourselves. The glory of a person serving God because they crave God will do right by God because they love God. When you love God, when you serve God, when you have a craving for God, you'll see assurances of his love. Things will start growing inside of you. It grows inside of every Christian. Patience, kindness, joy. Those kinds of things grow inside of people that are Christian. So where can we find assurances of actually being saved? Let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 and 12, or 10 to 12. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. When we read that, John's given us two identifying components of assurance. The first one is he is giving us belief and a testimony about eternal life. And the second one is, is he is giving evidence of eternal life at work in us. A lot of times we tend to think of eternal life as something that happens um, after we die. But that's not true. That's not, that's not when it happens. Uh, we, don't, we don't realize that it's something that comes into us now. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that eternal life comes into you now, not when you die. Seeing this kind of evidence in our life can give us assurances that there is a eternal life in us. Let me ask you a question. You ever had a point in your life where you felt you were going to hell? Have you, maybe somebody feels that way now. You feel like you're going to hell, but you're too scared to speak up about it. Are you feeling that way now or ever since you have been saved? Because that's something to throw a caution to. If you've been saved, you shouldn't be having feelings that you're going to hell. If you're truly saved, you shouldn't have that fear. John 3, verse 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. If you're, if you're feeling like you're going to hell, you might still be feeling... God's wrath on you. How many categories of people do we see in that scripture that I just read? There's two. There's really those that believe and those who don't. But I like to break it down to four. The first one is those who think they are saved but aren't. 
The second one is those that think that we think are saved but aren't. The third one is those who, who are saved but they don't act like it. And the last one is those who are saved but they do act like it. Which one of these categories are you in? Because we all fall into one. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? But are you acting like you're saved? Or are you not acting like you're saved? Are you making people believe you're a Christian? Maybe you're not really saved. But you want other people to believe you're saved. Will you stand before a mighty and holy God one day? Yeah. Sure will. What's he going to say to you? Is he going to tell you, welcome home, my good and faithful servant? Or is he going to tell you, depart from me, you wicked person, I never knew you? I don't want to stand before God and have him tell me that. I don't want any of you to stand before him and him tell you that either. John's very clear here when he tells us that we have eternal life. Whether we have eternal life is whether we believe in the testimony of God that has given to us about his son. Again, there's only two options. Either you believe or you don't. God's testimony is not, uh, is, is, is that eternal life is not something that we have in ourselves. It's something that God had to give us through his son. If you believe this, then you're admitting that you have no life in you and that you don't have the potential to change that on your own. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10 says this. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his words is not in us. If we keep telling ourselves that sin is okay or telling God that I'm doing my best or I'm going to try harder next time or you constantly keep asking God over and over to forgive you for this same thing over and over and over. It's kind of like we're calling God a liar. Because deep down we don't believe that God said what he said. That's kind of where I got to one point in my life, and I think that's where a lot of, a lot of these kids and, and, and even adults in this, in this world are having trouble with their salvation is after they're saved, they keep asking God to forgive them, to forgive them, to forgive them. God, didn't, God forgave you the minute you accepted him. He doesn't remember anything you've done. You're forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You don't have to keep asking. If you keep asking, are you calling God a liar? Does that mean you don't believe what he said to you? If we're doing that, we're rejecting God's testimony about Jesus. If, we're think we, if we think we are worthy of God's acceptance, or that we're good enough because we are good people and do good things, then your spiritual life is about yourself. It's not about God. If you truly believe in God's testimony, you're admitting that you're unworthy. That your sin is bad and that you don't deserve a place before God. 
Truly admitting that you are unworthy and that you don't have the ability to save yourself is very difficult to do. Because you have probably spent the majority of your life trying to prove to everybody that you're anything but an unworthy person. You've been trying to, trying to prove that you're good enough to make the team. You're trying to prove to your boss that you're that employee that he's been looking for. You're trying to prove to that girl or guy that you're exactly what they need. We want to prove to ourselves and to others that we're good enough for all those things. But whatever the case may be, we're always trying to prove our worthiness to someone. A lot of people can admit to making mistakes. Others have trouble admitting when they're wrong. But there's a lot fewer people that will admit they're not perfect too. Especially when it comes to making them perfect to be unworthy of eternal life. There's a lot of people out there in this, in this world like that. But thinking like this is, is, is really just downplaying the seriousness of our sins. Um, I'm sure most of us in here are pretty decent people. We try to do the right thing. Um, but we, we all sin. We're human. There wasn't but one person that ever walked this earth that didn't sin. And his name was Jesus. And in him, you can find eternal life and hope in eternal life and assurances in eternal life. 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read the NLT version on this one. I kind of like the translation a little better. But, um, it says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. An advocate is someone that argues your case before a judge. Praise God that we have that in Jesus. Because if we didn't, we would be standing before God deserving of all the punishment that he gives us. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I read in a book last year. Uh, I told the story to my youth one night uh, when I was talking to them about assurances. And it's the story of a loving and merciful king. There was once a king that had this big kingdom and all his people loved him. He was a loving king. He was a just king. But one day, the treasurer come running in to the palace. And he said, Lord, someone has stolen from the treasury. And I don't know who it was. Well, this angered the king. And the king demanded, he says, put out a royal decree that anyone who is caught for this theft will receive ten lashings in front of the town square. The next week, the treasurer come running in again. My Lord, someone is stolen from the treasury again. 
And this angered the king even more. He said, put out a royal decree. Anyone caught thieving and does not come forward, they're going to receive 20 lashes. Then the next week, the same thing happened again. And then the next week. And he kept increasing the lashings. And by the fifth week, he had increased the lashings to 50. There is no one on this earth, and the people knew it, that could survive 50 lashings, not even the king himself. One day the king was sitting in the palace, and the guards came and said they had apprehended the thief. A word got out around the town, so all the townspeople came running to the castle to see who the thief was. As the king sat on his throne and the crowds departed, they started bringing in the thief, and it ended up being his own mother. She'd been stealing from the treasury. The crowd gasped because they knew that he was a just king, but they also knew that he was a loving king. They thought there was no way that he would carry out this punishment on his very own mother. On the day of the sentencing, they walked her down to the square and they tied her to the post in the middle. And as the king come out, he ordered the guards to begin the punishment. And the crowd just gasped. But they knew he was a, a, a justly king. Just as the guard was about to strike his mother with a whip, he ordered her to halt. He ordered the guard to halt. Then the king walked down he took off his crown, he took his robe off, and he handed it to a guard, and he knelt, and he wrapped his arms around his mother. And then he ordered the guard to continue on with the punishment. And so he laid his life down in place of his mother's. See, all of us in this story, we're that mother. We sin, and we're rightly justified to receive a punishment from God. But we have Jesus that came in, knelt down and wrapped his arms around you and took that punishment for you. Jesus doesn't have to stand before God and argue your case as an advocate like in a courtroom. He doesn't have to argue that. The only thing he has to stand before God and say on your behalf, he argues his death. There's nothing you could do that could make God love you more and there's nothing that you could do that make him love you less. If you've given your life to Jesus, there's not an ounce of judgment that remains for you. God's taken that judgment. Jesus has paid that judgment. Are you here today struggling with your salvation? Are you asking yourself over and over, am I truly saved? Did I say that prayer right when I was younger? Was I sincere when I said it? Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, 
and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In that verse, there is no special prayer. There is no ceremony. There's only repentance, belief, and a confession of that belief. It's not even about when you were saved. If you're right now resting in the arms of Jesus, knowing when you began to rest is a lot less important than knowing that you're resting in him right now. Stop trying to find assurances in a prayer you said or wondering if you walked down the aisle right. Instead, look at today. Look at your life right now. Am I resting in God's arms right now? Are you looking at what Jesus did on the cross for you 2,000 years ago? Do you have a relationship with him? See, that's what it comes down to. It's not about saying some words. It's about a relationship. Are you living your life for him? Are you fully committed to live the way his will is, what he wants for you? Even though that might mean giving up what you want. Are you fully committed to that? Do you believe that Jesus paid it all? Do you know him today as your Lord and Savior? If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I would urge you to come down and confess that today. Don't let another minute pass without doing this. There's another year if it's going to start. Maybe you've had a bad year this year. Maybe you're looking for some refreshment. Maybe you're looking for, for next year to be something amazing. God can do amazing things. I can tell you, I, this last year for me, I don't think I would have made it without God. Period. He has kept me and my brother faithfully standing in the face of some tough stuff. So if you have not given your life to God, please don't let that go by. Commit your life to Him. And if you have given your life to God and you're worried that you're going to hell, if you're worried did you do it right, are you worried that you said a prayer right, or if you're worried that you were not sincere when you were younger, Stop worrying about that and start living for God right now. Come back down and recommit your life to Him. You won't find, you won't find anything to fear with Him. You'll only find love and happiness. And you will only find eternal life through Him. As Leah said, there was only one way to the children today, and that's the truth. There is no other way to, to get to heaven and to have eternal life without Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Grace Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, Lord. And Lord, I just, just want to lift all of us up today, Lord, and just pray that if there is anyone in here that's been struggling, Lord, with their salvation, 
and knowing who you are, Lord, and knowing what you are and what you've done for them, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their heart this morning. That you would let them know that, that they are sinners, Lord, that we're all sinners, and we cannot make it through this life without you. Lord, I pray that you will just press that on their hearts so this morning they will make a commitment to you. Lord, a commitment to give up their lives and start following you, Lord. Lord, I just ask you to just uh, be with us this year, Lord, as we start this new year. Just pray that it'll be a great year for everyone. That they can feel your closeness and your love, Lord. I just ask all these things in your blessed name. Amen.